Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was just like dying for something to pop up on my phone that would tell me I didn't have to do this. Like I just wanted a way out. Like I really, I got so scared that I really didn't want to start. Solitude special featuring Jenny Tuff. Jenny is an endurance athlete of the highest caliber. She focuses and specializes on long distance endurance challenges that give her an opportunity to explore the planet with a particular focus on mountains. The focus of this episode is Jenny's current long-term goal to run across a mountain range on every populated continent. We talk a little bit about the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, but we really focus in on the toughest mountain range she's endured, which was the Bolivian Andes. Jenny also provides an insight into what it's like to survive for long periods of time on your own and in the literal sense of the phrase, how to get out of bed in the morning when you really don't want to. So here is Jenny Tuff. Would you mind beginning by just talking to me about who you are and what you normally do with your life? Yes, yeah, so... I would tentatively describe myself as an adventurer and a writer and a storyteller. And what that means is I spend quite a lot of my life doing um, solo endurance challenges, not always solo, but frequently solo uh, in remote corners of the world. I have a particular fondness for mountains and my big personal project at the moment is to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent. And at the time of the lockdown beginning, I had completed four of those expeditions that were all world firsts. And when were the rest penned for? Uh, well, the fifth one was penned for a couple of weeks from now. So I, I don't think I'll be going. Uh, and the sixth one, uh, I don't, I mean, ideally I want to actually finish it this year. Um, again, that doesn't look likely because the one I was meant to be doing next month was the Caucasus and you know I've kind of had a lot of heart-to-hearts with myself over the last few days trying to figure out um, at what point do I admit to myself that I won't be going this summer um, and ultimately it's come down to I don't want to be quarantined in Azerbaijan. <laughs> Sorry Azerbaijan it's just not where I want to end up getting locked up so. so I think I likely won't be going to Azerbaijan until there's a vaccine. <laughs> if that's okay to admit. <laughs> it's pretty normal to want to be either home or somewhere safe right now, I guess. Yeah, so because the, the... Well, I wanted the last mountain range I did to be North America and I wanted it to be Canada because then it would be like coming full circle, having done mountains all around the world and then finishing really where it started and the place that I grew up and finally run across those mountains. 
So I thought that would be a really nice ending. And I think that's what I'm trying to mentally wrap my head around is letting go of the dream that that was how this would finish. Because, you know, ultimately I could probably go to Canada this summer and just run that range. And then at least I would get that one ticked off and like leave the Caucasus for when it's a good time to do the Caucasus. Because, um, yeah, you know, if if like we don't know what's going to happen week on week over the next few months or years of our lives, do we? So we have no idea. But, you know, if things things change in a, in a negative way and I'm stuck in Canada, that's okay. I can live in Canada. I'm from there. So, um, so yeah, I think that's what I'm slowly admitting to myself. And I guess if I'm recording this podcast saying that that's what I'm doing, then maybe that is ultimately what I'm doing is, um, wind travel lifts when it's safe to do so. Um, heading to Canada to run across the mountain range, I guess. And how do you feel about that? Uh, I'm just, like, I, I guess I decided I would rather keep the project going and keep having something to work towards um, and still be able to achieve something this year. You know, you don't want to you don't want to waste the time um, or just say like, oh, well, things didn't go to plan, so nothing's going to go at all. So I would rather keep the momentum alive and just do this project in the wrong order than to not do it at all. So obviously it's, it's not my ideal situation, but, you know, whatever, like that. That is what ex- expedition life is. It's just a series of solving problems of things not going your way and trying to find a way to get to your goal despite things not going your way. So this is just part of it and not in a way that I ever foresaw when I started this project. I never thought that global events would would impact my solo adventure. Um, but you know what? It's not the worst thing that could happen. I'm certainly not the worst person affected by this crisis. So I'm not going not gonna to shed a tear about it. No, but... It's suddenly a very interesting time to be talking to you because, you know, I'd love one day to have, you know, do the full conversation about everything you've done. But actually, you're you're right in the middle of making that decision. And yeah, I should have thought about that more before I hit record on this. <laughs> but, I'm like processing this live with you. Matt. We're all having to kind of suck it up and accept that we're we're here and this is what we're doing right yeah exactly and that's why I just I feel kind of ridiculous complaining that I'm gonna to have to change my plans from flying to Georgia and Azerbaijan versus flying to Canada you know that's really in the land of first world problems it's just really not something worth complaining about like you know I'll be fine but I suppose there is an element the more I'm kind of determined not to go too far down this route with it but um the more we read and the more we see the news like the more we need to be accepting of the fact that it's okay kind of not to be okay with it if that makes sense and I think that's really valid for a lot of people who are in the camp of being quite healthy and being quite fortunate um is that self-care just we don't have like I don't think that we have a culture for self-care if I'm really honest I think that's it's something that we are good at talking about but not something that we're good at doing because it does feel too selfish and especially when the entire planet is in the middle of coping with the pandemic and you realize that you're one of the luckiest people on this planet. You always have been and you certainly are now. Um, going into the route of self-care, it just it just goes against our nature because it is it just feels selfish to us. And I think that's why people are bad at doing it is because they just have too much guilt to do self-care. But, you know, ultimately you can't take care of anything unless you take care of yourself. So it is something that we have to just get over ourselves and and do and make a priority, especially in a time like this when, you know, you're locked up away from people, um, no one's seeing you and knowing 
how you're doing and what you're up to, then yeah, you gotta you gotta take responsibility for it. What do you mean by self care? Um, you know, kind of basically looking after your whole well being picture. So not just keeping your fitness and your diet up, but you know, um, being able to have those honest discussions about am I okay? What do I need right now? Do I really need to speak to someone? Am I okay with isolation? Like actually, um, yeah, your whole well being mental, physical, emotional, um, taking care of those things. And, and especially at a time like this, when, you know, some people, I mean, a lot of people are in homes with other people, but a lot of people are living alone right now. Um, it is that you are going to have to take responsibility for that. And you can't wait for someone else to come along and, and pick you up. And, and this is certainly something that I learned on solo expeditions. Um, and something that you learn really fast, like a slap in the face is that if you don't do this stuff, if you don't take full responsibility for any problems that you're experiencing, those problems will just get worse. You know, it's completely your job. And, and maybe that's why I'm good at what's going on right now is because I've just been in that situation enough where I've been alone in the back country, um, knowing that, you know, I can whinge and cry about something for as long as I want, but no one's going to help me. And that sounds really harsh. That sounds really harsh compared to, um, just living through a lockdown, but that's kind of where we're at. You know, you have to take responsibility for your self-care, for looking after yourself, for making sure that um, you're going to be able to keep going and keep your head up and stay well during this time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and have you always been good at it, or has it? Have you kind of learnt it by doing the things that you've done? Uh, no, I definitely learnt it. I mean, I. I started young. I did my first solo adventure when I was 21. I left my parents' house in Alberta and I cycled up to the Yukon. And I I remember really well the first time that something went wrong. So I'd, I'd never had a bicycle before and I didn't really know how they worked. Um, I remember the first time something went wrong with my bike and I realized I was out of cell phone signal so I couldn't call my dad. I mean, I was, it sounds ridiculous, but I mean, I was 21 years old. I had never been in a situation where I couldn't ask my parents or someone else for help my entire life. Um, you know, you maybe go through simulations with your family where you pretend like you're not going to ask mom and dad how to help you fix something, but ultimately you always had them. And so I remember the first time and I was in the Rocky Mountains, really, really isolated. You're not going to see other people for hours at a time. And I couldn't call my dad and I didn't know how to fix my bike. And so I just had a little meltdown by the side of the road there. Uh, and I remember that really well because, you know, I'd never been in that situation. So immediately in hindsight, when I finished the adventure, when I finally got to the Yukon and I finally made it back home afterwards, um, you know, I just kind of realized that as a young woman, I like I could, if I didn't put myself in those situations, I could probably go years and years really far into my life without ever having to be in situations where I take full responsibility for myself. So that's why I'm really passionate about encouraging young people to go on adventures and to do this kind of stuff so that they can not just learn how to take care of themselves, but also just prove to themselves that they can just realize their own, um, like find their own confidence in that kind of stuff and, and to not be afraid of being alone, not be afraid of taking care of themselves to realize that they do have the skills necessary. Why is it that you think you enjoy doing these things solo? Uh, I think you know, there's, there's good and bad to solo and in groups, you know, I've got nothing, um, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but um, there are a lot of advantages to solo that I quite enjoy. Like one is, I mean, you'll be completely exposed in a very raw format to everything about yourself, your strengths and your weaknesses. Uh, and you will get to 
I think there's a lot of personal development that comes from that. Um, so I do like the personal development side that I get from going solo. Uh, the other one is actually other people. You know, when you're alone, you're very, very approachable. And one thing that I really love about travel and adventure is going to other cultures and learning about way of life that is different from yours. Because I think that's a really important thing. And when we live in such a global connected world is to understand how other cultures live. Uh, and when you're alone, yeah, you are very approachable versus in a group. So I do find that when I'm alone, I meet a lot more people. I'm welcomed into a lot of different types of homes um, and just make a lot more friends because I am completely alone out there. So that's one that I've always really enjoyed. I kind of did the, you know, the obligatory website scour before the call. And then, um, yeah. you know, the place that resonates most with me is is running the Atlas in Morocco and you know, were there examples of that journey um, or were there examples on that journey of that kind of hospitality and, I guess, meeting people? Yeah, I mean, you'll know the Berbers are, I think of all the people on the planet, one of the kindest communities. The Berbers are just blow you away with hospitality. Um, but then you've also got to layer that with Morocco and, you know, North Africa being one of the hardest places in the world to be a woman. I wouldn't be around the bush with that fact. It It is. Um, so when you've got that going on and you're a solo woman in a place where women are perceived to be constantly in danger, uh, what I really found was there was kind of this overcompensation from the Berber community, particularly these um, paternal men that would see me and really be worried about me being alone. And so they would invite me in um, into their homes. So I actually slept in Berber homes almost every night on that expedition because I would just like I could hardly get from village to village for all the invitations to come around for tea and to stay the night or whatever. Um, so yeah, there was a lot. And of course, being a culture that is quite segregated between men and women, um, it was really lovely during the daytime because the men would be off working wherever men work, but the women would be closer to the home doing women's work. And I would always get invited in for tea and I would just kind of sit around tables with old women and got gossip in a language that I absolutely couldn't understand. Um, throughout the day I just kind of hopped from teapot to teapot across the Alice Mountains basically so yeah it was it was really lovely I mean there were times that the solo woman thing in a country like that was just overwhelming and really terrifying but that was way counterbalanced by the hospitality of the Berbers and how much was that hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experience about running through the mountains and how much was it about those evenings? You know what? If I wanted to run, I think that run came out to 870 kilometers. If I wanted to run 870 kilometers, I could just easily do that in Scotland. You know, running is easy. It's right, left, right, left. I know how to do it. I've been doing it for I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Um, you know, the running was kind of the easy part. It's just the movement. That was just the mean of transportation. It was about 
and adventure and exploring a part of the world that really put me on my depth that I didn't understand a lot of things about it. Um, so yeah, it was really about those connections and the adventure and understanding this culture. And there was just a lot of running in the middle of it and running is just what I enjoy. So running was like the holiday between um, having to figure out how to survive in a place like that. Which has been the toughest of the four so far? Uh, the Bolivian Andes. I can say that quite easily, actually. <laughs> Why was that? Uh, I got hit with everything that, that they could offer me, actually. Um, when I got there, it was to start with, it was meant to be the dry season. Um, and then when I got there, it turned out mainly due to climate change that there just hadn't been a dry season. And the forecast for the entire three weeks that I had to do it was foul, like a really bad forecast. Like I checked my diary to make sure that this is a true fact, that there was more than one thunderstorm every single day of the run. So I was out there, you know, and you can deal with getting wet, but you're wet and cold all the time at high altitudes. They're the biggest ones that I've done. I was over 5,000 meters several times. So you're dealing with elements at altitude and just really, really, really exposed and remote sections. It's not a very populated area. So the risk level from the environment was high. Uh, and then there was the human environment. And, you know, Bolivia is, is well known as not being a safe country. Um, as far as South America goes, um, crime rates, especially against women, were the highest in Bolivia than anywhere else. Um, and that stuff doesn't normally bother me. Like, I've been to lots of places where I'm told, like, this isn't a safe place. And I'm, I'm pretty good at handling that kind of stuff and handling myself. But I think for some reason, I think it was the combination of the environment, you know, the, the weather and the high altitude and just, you know, the terrain that I was going to have to cover, like, being pretty brutal... Um, the combination of that with this attitude towards gringos, especially females, um, being quite negative and being quite scary or in a very, one of the world's poorest countries. Um, I think for some reason there was just kind of this storm that developed in my brain that I, I ended up getting really scared. I remember on the first day of the run, um, I thought I was going to get up at 6am and, and get a good crack on it. But I woke up that morning and I just lay there under this tin roof that I had rented out the night before. Um, and the rain's just pattering this tin roof and I was just lying there I kept on checking my phone even though I didn't have phone signal I kept on checking my phone you know when you just when you're trying to stall something so you just look at your phone kind of automatically I was just like dying for something to pop up on my phone that would tell me I didn't have to do this like I just wanted a way out like I really I got so scared that I really didn't want to start and I never experienced that in my life before and it was weird that it had happened then, you know, when I was quite experienced at doing hard things. And yet there I was just genuinely too scared to go out the front door. Uh, and it went, on, it went on like that every single day. I think it took me six, 17 days to do the run. And every single morning I woke up in my bivy. You know, typically I was out in the mountains and there would be ice all over my tarp. And I would be freezing cold in my bivy. And I would just lie there for almost an hour thinking of ways to go home like I just I was so scared of it and it just it didn't go away so it was yeah it was it was a really hard run objectively like obviously the, the you know the passes like I had to do like three mountain passes a day it was it was absolutely brutal on the legs and the altitude was really hard um I got diagnosed with hape part way through like everything kind of went wrong but then it was also just a lot that was going on in my own mind that was what really made it hard what was the specific process for or what did you endure every morning and how did you get around to eventually you know climbing out putting a bag on and starting running so I've, i have quite a lot of mantras and little things that i've kind of developed for myself along the way and one of them is fix your problems uh, and that comes from 
when you are alone, when you don't have an expedition partner to turn around and say to you like, hey, that blister is only going to get worse, let's fix it or something like that. If you don't have someone helping you, you have to learn to fix your problems because it's really easily, especially if you're starting to go negative, it's really easy to keep going down that route. Um, I think all endurance athletes are very good at um, disguising pain and pretending that they don't feel it or just pushing through something. But if you're trying to do something really long haul, something that's going to take you weeks to finish, every problem that creeps up is only going to get worse unless you solve it. So fix your problems has become something that I've just used a lot. So that was the first thing that I would go to as I would wake up in the morning in my bivy, there'd be ice on the tarp and I would just lie there thinking, nope, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Uh, And then ultimately you have to say, okay, well, let's be logical about this, Jennifer. (laughs) Fix your problems. What are you going to do? Like, I can't stay in this bivy. You know, I'm at 4,500 meters or something like that. I've only got so much water. You know, I can't stay here. I have to go somewhere. I have to pack up. So fix the problems. What's the problem? The problem is that I'm scared. Okay, so let's, let's develop that. And so then I would have to have a conversation with myself around, like, what are you actually scared of? If it's a logical thing... Like, I'm scared of the storm that's coming, or I'm scared because I got told that the next village is particularly crime-ridden and I'm going to die. Like, I got told every day that the next village was going to murder me. So you have to say, okay, well, if you're really scared of that, what are you going to do about it? And I would have to come up with steps for what I was going to do about it. Like, if I know what time the storm's going to hit, maybe I can get somewhere that I can get shelter. Uh, If I'm really scared of the people, then, you know, I, I actually usually put that in the bucket of being an irrational fear because I know worldwide this just happens everywhere doesn't it that the next village over those are the guys you got to fear that's what everyone tells you don't go that way they'll hurt you you're safe here but don't go there and that was what happened kind of all the way around so I kept on telling myself you know the next village it's going to be full of lovely people and I'm just going to tell myself that and I'm going to go in there with positivity also have a knife in my pocket just in case it's not true but like you know you got to come up with the steps that are going to get you moving so then I would just have to force myself I would just have these conversations with myself around how I was going to fix my problems and then ultimately just pack up my bivy and start going like you know you don't have a choice you put yourself in the situation you've got to get through it I I could go so many directions with this it's fascinating but um how do you justify the risk when it's obviously you know you've got a knife in your pocket just in case how do you justify the risk Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that any of us who put ourselves in those situations have to be really comfortable with that question and be asking it to ourselves all the time. Um, Like I've always had one, because I do get asked that a lot, especially when I was younger as a woman. Um, I would always get asked around my mom. And so that was what I always would think to myself. This this is going to sound too dark, but um, I would always think to myself like, okay, if this is really risky, um if this is something that's really putting my life at risk, is my mom going to be okay with this being the way that I go? And that would always be one that I came back to. And that's obviously going to be quite personal from person to person. Um, But how do I justify the risk? You know what? I know my skill level and I know what I'm comfortable doing. Um, Ultimately, if I think that I am going to end up being a mountain rescue call out, I don't do it. But if I know that I actually do have the skills, you know, I might be scared of going up to that altitude in that storm, but I actually do know logically that I can handle it. I do actually know logically that I am going to get through to the other side and I'll be okay. Um, Then I'll do it. But if, you know, if I do think a helicopter is going to have to come get me, then then I can't justify that.
And do you look back on that Bolivia trip as a positive experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, still sometimes when I think about it, like I can just talking about it now, I can remember that fear. Like I can actually feel, feel it firing up in my stomach right now. Like, oh God, that was, that was quite horrible. I remember that day that was, you know, a really hard one to get through. I was really, you know, I went back on my self-esteem for a while. I was just so scared. Um, but yeah, I do. I can remember all the beautiful positives. I mean, those mountains are beyond stunning. I had a lot of great conversations with alpacas on the way. Um, I met a lot of Cholitas, the women that um, the women that live in the Aymara and Quechua communities in Bolivia. They were just like they're a force in nature. Those women, um, they're not shy at all. Every village that I went to before I even got to the edge of the village, these Cholitas would come screaming, running out at me, asking me what on earth I was doing. Um, and I just met so many crazy, awesome women. Um, so yeah, I I do have so many positive experiences that I took from it. Um, so I do, and of course. I'm so proud of myself that I got through it. Like I really wanted to not finish it. That's the closest I've ever come to just quitting out of, you know, I couldn't emotionally handle it. Uh, and I didn't. And I'm really proud of myself for that. It's very, very, I mean, it's inspiring. I, I didn't actually know that story. So it's nice to find it out in real time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thanks. What, what advice would you give people? Yeah, it's the cliche, but what advice would you give to people who think actually maybe I could do a little solo mission somewhere my advice this is super cheesy and it's kind of abusing my surname but it's you're tougher than you think and that's something that I've really come to learn and something that I'm still relearning every time I take on something because you know you're going to pick something that's just outside your comfort zone um and that's scary and the reason why it's scary is because if it's outside your comfort zone it means you don't know if you can do it um but all I can really say is that what I always find is that I am tougher than I think. And I think it's the same for everyone else. You're going to look at a challenge and you're going to go, oh, don't know. Um, but then when you get to the top of that mountain, metaphorically or not, um, you do look back and you go, wow, yeah, I can handle that. Like, And you really surprise yourself and be proud of yourself the same way I just talked about that Bolivia story is that at the end of it, I couldn't believe that I got through it because you know, we're all tougher than we let ourselves believe that we are. Leads me beautifully into my final question, which is, for those who are struggling to get out of bed in the morning or struggling to work out what to do with their day right now um, in the middle of this pandemic, what would you um, say to them? I would say, first of all, looping back to the start of our conversation is that, you know, it's okay to not be okay and doing the self-care. Um, and when I said fix your problems, okay, that's a problem. How are you going to fix it? Like what self-care things would help you right now? Like what do you know about yourself that is going to bring you back that motivation uh, and that joy that you clearly need right now. So that's, um, I think the first thing I would say is take care of yourself. And the second thing I would say is, you know, I think people always ask me about the long, lonely hours on an endurance challenge. Like, don't you get bored? Uh, and the way I've always worked on that, because I mean, an endurance challenge, they sound really gnarly and mega and exciting, but actually they're, they're pretty boring. Like you just keep going. Like all you do is just right, left, right, left all day long. Um, the way I've always tackled that is to have a plan so that I don't go insane inside my own brain with absolutely no one else to speak to, just doing the same thing all day, not knowing, you know, it's kind of similar that I don't know when it's going to end because I don't know how long it's going to take me to get to the finish line. Um, as I've always had a plan. So I've said, you know, I'm going to have a coffee. When I get to that waterfall, I'm going to stop and have a coffee just to like make myself feel good for a minute. Um, I'll download a lot of podcasts and I'll say, 
like hold myself to account to listen to some podcasts because I know that that's something that's going to help me feel connected because just even hearing a conversation, even if you're not having it, just hearing them, I've always found really helps me when I'm in the back country um, or maybe an audiobook or whatever it is. But, you know, those are more specific examples that maybe don't apply exactly to lockdown, but it's just have a plan, like put things, write things down that you do want to do with this time. And I'm really... I don't want to hear another person say that this is a good time to learn a new language or whatever. Like, screw it. If you're stressed out, then it's not a good time to go learn a language. But, you know, you can have a plan for things that you would like to do. Say to yourself what you're going to make for lunch and then just say you're going to do it and you're going to do it on time. You're not going to let your schedule go mental or anything like that. Just, you know, make some plans and hold yourself to account and that's going to get you out of bed. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk or find us on Instagram at theadventurepodcast. And finally, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes, tell us what you think and give us a rating. They really, really help.